Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and it's Sean Tober, week two. Joining us, we've got Adam Myros. Myros, any plans for Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday? Uh, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm still writing my script, and, and we'll do so uh, extensively on Monday. So that, that's a real celebration of Indigenous people. Is it, is it now? It's yeah. Just a lot of reflecting on your part? Uh, yeah, I mean, not on uh, people indigenous to this area of the world, certainly, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Good. I don't know. I, I feel like that's a real half-cocked answer. Uh, I, I'm kind of expecting, you know, I, you, you've always told us you're a big Columbus Day guy. You just love Christopher Columbus. You're not going to lean into that at all? Uh, well, I mean, it's a fine sailor. <laughs> it's, Something it's to appreciate there. I mean, you got to give the man credit for... You know? Yeah. He knew his way around a boat. What else, what else is there to say, ocean, really? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Never mind his, his genocidal acts. His uh, maritime skills were a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fella, you know, you ever, you ever been on a boat and you accidentally give a bunch of people a disease? A lot of people did that. What about people who, like, went on cruises in 2020? Like, that, what's the difference between them and Columbus, really, at the end of the day? It's, just, you know? it's true. It's true. Uh, Oops, Sean is, of pot. course, back. Sean, how you doing, buddy? Good. Is this is this what you, what the podcast has become? In my state, yeah, it's 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 mostly me trying to trap Myros into like a weird racist corner. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't it's really hard push to cancel back that hard generally. <laughs> it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's he's an easy man to just kind of body like that. But yeah, that's that's what it mostly is. Although I, I would argue that the podcast has always been an excuse for me to try to box Adam Myros into a. No, I should know. come back on more often. You should. You should. No, it's no. good. And and maybe if you want to bring a little bit of your expertise into this, other ways <laughs> that we can frame up Adam Myros as a as a little demon, uh, that would be good. So just yeah, keep keep the gears turning. And then uh, Jack, of course, trapped in Ireland, not just staying in Ireland willingly anymore. So, uh, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Fuck Jack. We got Jake. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I actually have a very specific question for you. So oh, sure. I have to go to a, uh, a child birthday party next week, next mm. Saturday. Which, yes. Uh, I, I typically don't go to, but I was You don't asked, say. <laughs> yeah, it's typically not. Well, I mean, you know, we're at an age where people have children and then they have birthday parties. Yeah, but you don't have children, parties. so you don't go to those birthday parties. You send a card. No, but this this is this is what happens now cuz one-year-olds don't have fucking friends. They're losers. Like well, who do they hang out with? No one. They hang out with whoever you tell them to. So, a lot of these parties are just like it's just a party for adults, but there happens to be a one-year-old there and you take pictures of him like smashing his face in cake. Uh but anyways, my question for you, Jake, right. is I was asked specifically for this birthday party to uh do a a roast of the baby of the of the baby that's turning one years old now the problem with that i have no problem making fun of a of a child i I fucking hate kids but i am concerned because i i just i don't know a lot about him there's not much to say he's a fucking one-year-old so i was wondering in your life as someone with a child how do you mock your own child is is there anything that you suggest i lean into well, I think a good opener would be like, uh, raise your hand if you have poor motor skills and you still shit your pants and, yeah. uh, and the baby won't do it and that'll get a laugh. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, you Is know, it okay obviously if I say his dick's small. 
I mean, I assume. <laughs> you know, there's some lines you maybe don't want to cross in comedy anymore. But uh, yeah, yeah, actually, you know what? That that sounds pretty good. Full, That's full, good. You're the woke yeah, mob will come full, after TV. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a baby's dick. I don't know. <laughs> It'd just be like, uh, yeah, I saw a junior getting his diaper changed. Looks like uh, he takes after his father downstairs or yeah. something like that. Well, that could go I mean, either they, way. Hey, they they are similar, him and his dad. They both came early. Hey! There you there, go. There See, you go. these write themselves. Write themselves. All right, I feel better about this. Thank you. You're uh, welcome. Well, uh, you know, despite Adam Myros' protests, we're not here to just talk about baby dicks. Uh, we actually have we have some movies that we watch. So today we're we're back and we're talking... Stephanie Rothman, who is a little bit different than last week's episode, not not quite a Tim Ritter. Um, so no. Stephanie Rothman, if you don't know, she uh, made films mostly for Roger Corman between the mid 1960s and mid 1970s. Pretty short career. And she used to love watching art films as an undergrad. Uh, specifically, she'd go to the, the Berkeley Theater, which funnily enough, Pauline Kale was the programmer there before Pauline Kale was, you know, Pauline Kale. And she was, uh, she, I think she was like a sociology major as an undergrad, decided to pursue film, graduate school, ended up being the first woman ever awarded the Directors Guild of America Fellowship. Pretty fucking cool. What do you do with that prestigious award? Why you go work for Roger Corman. So she spent uh, the early part of the 1960s working as assistant to Corman. Uh, and then she finally gets her first uh, feature length directorial credit. And that leads us right here to Bloodbath. And part of the reason why I chose Rothman is, uh, one, I think she's really like underseen, underappreciated uh, as a horror exploitation filmmaker. Two, I love her approach to the material, which Corman, oddly enough, sort of nurtured, which was he was like, OK, I need you to make a sexy nurse movie and it's got to have titties in it. But other than that, do whatever the fuck you want. So <laughs> she was able to, uh, you know, weave in progressive politics and subversive touches and those are kind of prevalent throughout her films and you know I, I think for her she wanted to move beyond exploitation but because of the era that she was making movies in she was seen sort of specifically as just an exploitation filmmaker and within new hollywood at the time unless your name was elaine may you didn't really get to make shit so uh that was difficult. She eventually, after a decade, just kind of was unable to find work. So, yeah, I think she did fucking real estate for like 30 years after that, which is depressing as hell. But bloodbath. Really interesting way to start yeah. off your fucking career, right? And I know, I mean, we're going to talk about the movie itself, but I feel like we're, we're doing the film a disservice and the listeners a disservice if we don't talk about the circumstances that <laughs> sort of created bloodbath. I'm curious. I, I'm not that familiar. All I know is that just looking at like the, the fucking trivia is it's like, Oh, it's taken from this movie and then these scenes are directed yeah. by this person. And it's like, what the fuck happened here? Yeah. So this is a classic Roger Corman setup, which is he is given an opportunity to produce a dirt cheap movie uh this one was like an espionage thriller shot in croatia i think it was like a yugoslavian crew or something and then he sends his his boy at the time francis ford coppola down to be the script supervisor make sure everything's all right what they get from that 
is not shockingly absolute dog shit. So <laughs> then he taps on Jack Hill, uh, another Corman guy, did Spider Baby, uh, and he says, "Okay, Jack Hill, go do some reshoots, get some shit. We we need we need to fix this." So he goes and he shoots more. Corman's still not happy, and you got to think like, Corman's got to be super unhappy at this point because this is not a man with like the the highest of standards. And he's also a man who will reuse absolutely anything and, and create something new for no money. So, you know, like uh, Targets, the Peter Bogdanovich movie, that's fucking amazing. That entire movie was made because uh, Corman was like, hey, you get Belagosi for two days and you have to use some footage from this other shitty horror movie that I already shot. And then there you go. Now you've got Targets. So this is like total Corman move. He's not happy with it, though. So this is where Rothman comes in. And the best part about all of this is none of the people involved, Coppola, Rothman, Jack Hill, none of them uh, heard, like, they, they didn't talk to each other. It was almost like they were working on these, this movie completely independent of one another. <laughs> so what you get is all these different visions of, of what the film should be or can be. So uh, Jack Hill allegedly shot a lot of the uh the fun like beatnik stuff with the with the different artists uh which in and of itself is kind of a throwback to corman's bucket of blood from uh, like six seven years prior and that's that, that's fun because it, it is it's kind of just kind of ribbing uh pretentious artsy types and then rothman gave more context to this villain and sort of shot things to sort of support his story so uh this is where you get just more information about Sorty, the, the artist slash killer. Uh, you get the really super cool dreamscapey desert shot, which is something that you know, kind of pops up again in Velvet Vampire. A little bit more of the artsy touches. And so you have all this different mishmash going together. And then Rothman reshuffles everything around, uh, kind of gets her cut of it, and this becomes Bloodbath, which is just a hair over an hour long <laughs> with credits. And it ate shit in theaters. So then Corman is like, okay, there's another cut here that, that you know, maybe we can sell it to TV. So you get Track of the Vampire, which is the TV version, uh, which is absolutely fucking horrible. It's Rothman's film, but extended in the two stupidest ways humanly possible. One is with a complete fucking bird brain chase sequence from that cheap Yugoslavian uh, espionage movie. And the other thing is, there's an early scene where you see the, uh, the female lead and she's like on a beach and in Rothman's cut, she's literally on the beach for all of 30 seconds. And in the track of the vampire cut that is extended to like nine minutes with all these goofball, like fucking kaleidoscope, uh, visual effects. It's, it's asinine and it, it just drags, fucks up the pacing. It's terrible. You've got that. So essentially within bloodbath, there are, at least four movies. <laughs> and we watched the most Stephanie Rothman of them all. But despite all of this, I think, especially if you're familiar with some of her later films, you, you can still see her personality shining through, which is why I love Stephanie Rothman, because a movie like this should not have individual touches. It should not like function as well as it does. It shouldn't be as entertaining. It shouldn't, you know, evoke mood the way that this movie does and yet Rothman can fucking do it so 
Uh, yeah, that's that's bloodbath in a nutshell, I'd say. All right, so should we move on to? Yeah, we're just gonna move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we got so many to get through today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sean, I, I know you previously hadn't watched any of, of Rothman's work, so I was just I was curious just how this one grabbed you, and if you knew about the background and uh, or if you could just kind of see the seams in it a little bit, even if you weren't familiar with how it was put together. Uh, well, no, I couldn't see the seams really, to be honest. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that might be more of the era and type of movie, you know, like this, like kind of cheap, this Corman type stuff. Uh, you don't exactly expect to always be the most cohesive or rather you're not surprised if it's not the most cohesive, especially when it mm-hmm. kind of dips into this. <clears throat> you know, sort of like head like scene, um, and style. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's groovy. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but as far as how, how it, uh, grabbed me, I mean, uh, I thought like right off the bat, it was so cool. It was like, almost it starts almost as, as like a, like a Orson Welles, like looking movie, (laughs) Um, it has like such interesting perspective going on and, um, beautiful, like chiaroscuro, uh, photography and that, I mean, more or less maintains over the period of the film. And uh, I mean, when I'm, as I'm thinking about like, sort of like certain scenes, like from the beginning to like some of these, like other like beach scenes and some of the more abstract stuff, um, like thinking about it intellectually you can see the scenes but um but like i said like working in this uh in in this milieu and you know uh, this yeah it, it it's it, it all kind of works you know it's like watching like a jalo mm-hmm. it's like um you're not like if if it takes you somewhere you're not expected to or that doesn't make sense quote unquote like it's it doesn't really matter you yeah. know Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I think it's honestly to the film's benefit in quite a few ways, just because, it, so this obviously was like shot in Croatia and you can tell it has that kind of like beachy tropicalness to it. But in the final film, like it's supposed to be taking place in Venice Beach, which I think is fucking hilarious uh, because one of the things that, that makes this film so great is it really, it, it blurs the the sense of place so completely that you have no idea like where these people are and other than you know the way that they're dressed and and the you know the group of uh sid haig and his artist cronies um there's no real sense of time either so i i think it's kind of fun because it does it kind of adds this haziness to the whole thing and uh just heightens everything yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely like a, a really bizarre setting, especially, yeah, conceive of it as Venice Beach, like, boy, slow day at Venice Beach, I guess, I don't know, it's a, it's a very Slow day at Venice though. Beach, guess I'll return to my castle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just rather strange, and even this whole art dealer setup, I'm like, this it seems to be like, it, it reads basically empty and you're like why is there an art dealer and it seems like it's a fucking like diner <laughs> mm. it's just a very bizarre setting uh yeah i, I don't know it's this is, there's definitely something 
weird going on with this movie that I, I do appreciate. And, and it, yeah, if you're looking for logic, if you're like, wait, what, what's Sorty up to here exactly? What's this thing about, like, what, he needs a little more time and then his painting woman's going to come back or something, something. Yeah. It's just like Doesn't totally, matter. yeah, nobody gives a shit. It's not explored. Uh, if that's your concern, then you're going to have a rough time with this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, fuck that. Ride the wave, baby. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that, that's yeah. kind of where it is. I, I guess, I don't know. To me, it, it is a, a really interesting sort of juxtaposition of these things that are very stark. Like, that opening is is very Argento adjacent to me. Like, it looks like something out of uh, Inferno. Uh, it, you know, black and white, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just a really interesting thing to have that and then all of a sudden cut away to, like, Sid Haig and this Max fellow like fucking taking the piss out of art and just like firing guns in this cafe. It's just a, it's a strange thing. It's a very strange film. It, it does not surprise me that there's multiple directors that worked out. <laughs> well, right. especially since a uh, uh, second one is credited, so you should have seen that mm -hmm. up top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that really that was a real spoiler for me. Yeah. I, I did not do any sort of research uh, behind this film and the next film we watched, but uh, if I were to sum up them perfectly, I could just say good vibes. Uh, I thought this movie, I, you know, even if a lot of it doesn't make sense and the beatniks in the bar kind of seem to be clashing uh, with this plot about the guy who's possessed by his vampiric ancestor to create the perfect art based off of a, a former lover who is, I guess, centuries long dead. Uh, they don't really do anything together until the very end. They kind of collide into one another. Um, so, and you know, all sorts of uh, creative what have you that went on behind the scenes makes sense. But I was just freakingly taken aback by how gorgeous this looked. And there's just like extended scenes of like a woman running on the beach with a guy in a cloak chasing her that just looks frequently stunning. Mm -hmm. And I, I, uh, I just let that, I just let that experience wash over me. And I, you know, without any sort of care with what happened with this plot, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an astounding film to look at. If, even if I did not quite get Do it. I know what to say. Uh, old Sorty has an awful high estimation of his abilities. Cause this art the art of this movie, quite awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the and the beatniks, I guess, are there to, like you said, to take the piss out of it because they have these the paintball guns and they're there's a decent looking portraits, but then they blast the the models in the face mm. and it's just an ugly splatter. And then they all gather around and say, "Oh, this looks <laughs> this is ingenious. You've done it again, Max." And that's, yeah, that's honestly it's fucking brilliant too, right? Because their their whole thing is Sorty doesn't hang out with them in the the beatnik cafe, and. So, but his art is selling well. So anytime they see someone buy his art, they're like, oh, sorry, what a fucking hack, you know? And their whole thing is they have to not only create something, but then they all have to sit around and intellectualize it over and over and over again. And then if the, the fucking goofball guy <laughs> with this little beret, uh, if he decides, oh, actually it's, uh, it's too formal or something like that, then they all switch their opinions over. And it's, it's just great. Just like completely taking the piss out of people who, I don't know, just can't have their art just kind of stand alone and have to have the, uh, I don't know, the validation of other people constantly. <laughs> Fucking great. Just, you know what, if you want to be an artist, here's what you do. Uh, you use your ancestral 
powers to murder women and then immortalize them in portraits and then uh, maybe dunk the bodies in hot wax. You ever try that? Seems like a great way to, well, to what, make Where's the hot wax come in? I don't have any fucking idea. No, Doesn't matter. No. Just forget about no, it. No, he's got in his in his just, Venice just Beach preservation of the corpses. Okay, For, to what? Yeah. What? Do you, what well, I, I don't know. What else are you going to, where else will you, would you hide a body? It, it just say it's a work of art. Nobody would think none the wiser unless yeah. the bodies reanimate and then kill you in their act of vengeance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, which so again, in, great uh, callback to uh, Corman's <laughs> bucket of blood, which that's exactly what it is. It's just a guy murdering people mm-hmm. and then like covering them in plastic. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so in the second draft of the script here, what we would do is he wouldn't have paintings at all. He would just sell these sculptures because that, that really cuts out the middleman. Yeah, but then, but then it's just bucket of blood. So but, then you you can't. <laughs> yeah, well that 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 puts him at risk then because if they you know someone would ever to chisel chisel into these sculptures they would learn the truth that oh no this guy sold me a, a flagrant corpse what the fuck yeah yeah this yeah. guy's very risk averse fucking... <laughs> you know like Myros you ever you ever like go to like an antique dealer and you you think you bought some taxidermy but in fact you just bought a dead dog like has that ever happened to you <laughs> well I mean that that could. Be the same thing, really. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> That's no different. What is uh, what's the story on the restoration here? Because the quality of of the copy we watched was like uh, beautiful. Yeah. So this is actually really important and a little bit sad. So in 2016, Arrow put out a very just robust package for this film. Uh, essay special features the whole nine yards. All four existing cuts in the movie, so Bloodbath, Track of the Vampire, the weird Yugoslavian movie, the, uh, the Jack Hill cut, whole thing. Hmm. And it's amazing, and it's also out of print, so uh, good luck. You can buy it for like 90 fucking dollars or something now. Uh, but yeah, they, they did an extensive restoration, and it looks gorgeous, which is great, although, as we found out, it is a pain in the ass to find the right cut of this movie uh, because it is all over streaming services, but it's mislabeled. Uh, if you go on Amazon prime right now, it'll say bloodbath, but then you go and you queue it up and it's track of the vampire, which is dog shit. Uh, Tubi has the same problem. It's just, it's, it's a fucking mess. And most of the copies that are out there that you're going to find are the scratched up EV cut. That was probably, you know, those like mass produced, like, 101 Corman classics on like double-sided DVDs that were released in like 2003. Uh, it's a lot of that bullshit. Out mm. So um, yeah, I would say hundred percent watch this. It's gorgeous. It's super fucking cool. It's got an interesting story behind it, but make sure you're tracking down the right version. And oddly enough, the right version is 64 minutes and probably a robust high definition file. So go figure. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know. It's, it's a good intro to Rothman too, because I love the way that, uh, bloodbath carries over into the next movie that we watch, which if bloodbath kind of gets by on this kind of haziness and vibes, velvet vampire is just taking that to the next level. So, you know, another one where it's like, don't fucking think about it. This is the same way you should be watching like a, a Jean Roland vampire movie or a, a weird fucking Jez Franco movie. Uh, it's it's a little slow. It's a little hazy. It's a little dreamlike. Uh, and you're asking yourself, why would a vampire live in the California desert sun? And the answer is shut the fuck up. Uh, 
but what you get is just this this cool just laid back vibe with this amazing like 1971 uh just like fucking beatnik house in the desert it's incredible and uh it's it's really a story that uh anyone can relate to myros yeah tell me if this sounds familiar to you uh you and the missus trying to spice up the relationship and you invite a uh you know an attractive goth woman and you know, you, you end up in a, a bisexual goth romp and it goes wrong, right? How many times does that happen to you? It's a common occurrence, yeah. Yeah, pretty frequent, pretty frequent. But um, yeah, Sean, I know you're a huge uh, fan of uh, Roland's work, so I was wondering if you, if you kind of saw the, the parallels with this one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, came to mind immediately. Um, there's uh, a similar uh you know proclivity for abstraction um there's also a similar stiffness in how they direct actors or what they care to get out of actors um i do think that and maybe it's just over time and a different a larger catalog but uh i mean roland has uh roland has the juice i think to carry a bit more than Rothman does here in terms of like the, the, the characterization or lack thereof. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of that stiffness, like Rothman dwells, I like this movie, but, um, the, the, the times when it gets, uh, sort of like stuck in mud is, is when you're just watching two people talk for too long. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's one of Roland's strengths is, uh, doesn't dwell on human interaction. No, he does not. I, no, I think I think that's a valid point. Uh, I do love the casting choices here because mm-hmm. I mean the, tit- the titular vampire, she's just amazing presence on screen. Like every every fucking outfit she wears, it's um I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess like the contemporary analog would be uh, you know if you if you watch like an Anna Biller movie or something like that, like uh, Love Witch, uh, you see a lot of that. Um, or if you um, if you're into like uh women like indie like bnm stars um they're usually dressed like this you gotta you gotta have floppy hats and uh long sleeves bows yeah. yeah yeah a lot of bows uh but but also easy access to expose your bosom at all times that's the way to go um so yeah she's she's amazing and then the the couple itself because really this is there's some other characters that float around but it's it's really about these three people and their kind of interactions but you've got this woman who is framed up as sort of this dumb blonde girlfriend who uh you know you're watching the power dynamics kind of play out between her and and her husband and the husband guy i fucking love because never in the history of cinema has there been like a more cro-magdan looking motherfucker like mm-hmm. just cast to play like the handsome alpha male but in actually he's kind of dumb and then we get to watch the the, the manipulation kind of twist him around uh which is cool too because this this is a movie that is i mean it's it's not shy about its its nudity and its exploitation but uh it, it's from a distinctly female perspective and it's it is kind of fun to watch this guy get twisted up in knots uh, as he's trying to both one fuck the vampire lady, but is also constantly being manipulated by her, and then later also manipulated by his own wife, who kind of gets one over on him too. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it's just kind of a, a fun interplay between the characters and compelling shit, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll I'll uh, no, I'll say yeah, I really enjoyed this, and even even though like there's you know it's it seems to be stilted in places, and the performances are all operating on different levels, and yeah, it does it does really wade its way through eighty minutes. Again, I'm just enraptured by like these extended dream sequences where the couple wake up in a bed nude in the desert and there's only like a mirror next to them. And then the vampire temptress comes out and takes the husband out of the bed. And that's a recurring nightmare the wife has. And then we learn that it's sort of a clever reversal. She's trying to take him out of the bed so that the vampire can shack up with the lady. And that's her end game all along. And I'm like, oh, OK, I see. Mm -hmm. I see what you're doing here. This is nice. But uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's just very, you know, with the 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 contemporary shag rug housing that they live in. It's, it's a marvel of uh, just of just sights and, and pleasures. And mm -hmm. I also love the way the the vampire picks them up in the desert when she just launches over the cliff with the dune buggy and, and <laughs> rides up and says, all right, I'm here. I love all of her activities, too. Like, she's like, hey, uh, so there's this abandoned mine where all the miners got brutally murdered. You guys want to go check it out? Also, uh, don't get lost because you'll probably die because there's a lot of caverns in here and just no way out. So they're like, yeah, that's yeah. fucking great. I love that. <laughs> it's really, it's it's fantastic shit. I don't know. I think the wife has a better itinerary where she's like, oh, I don't feel like joining you. I'm just going to lay down in this pile of sand <laughs> in the parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then just uh, you, you get bit by a snake, but it's it's not all bad because then the uh, the hot vampire lady gets to save your life. Pretty good stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I also like how this kind of carries through some of the ideas that uh, Rothman played with a little bit in, in Bloodbath, where uh, you, you've got artist bullshit is back. <laughs> you know, like they yeah. all meet at this like gallery and I, I forget what the exact line is. Uh, but they're looking at it's like an abstract statue of like a human like figure and uh, someone's just like is he dead and then there's like oh, it just kind of depends on your perspective and they just kind of walk away from it um, but yeah it's uh, it, it's fun and it's another one where just like again you you gotta get on the wavelength and just ride the fucking wave you can't think about this one too much um, specifically towards the end which I absolutely love it's this weird kind of surreal chase uh through the train the bus station i guess it would be in la uh because the girl tries to get away from the vampire and the vampire just like chills in the palm springs bus with her like all the way back to la and then it's kind of chasing her through but it's this like really slow chase with all these different stops and it's so just awkwardly paced, but in a way that makes it more compelling. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it gets a little bit weirder because, you know, they they blast out of the uh, the the bus station, and there's this wonderful sequence where she discovers like, oh, well, she's a vampire, so she doesn't like crosses. So there's someone just like a selling tchotchkes from a little stand, and she grabs the cross. And then everybody around her is like, yeah, that's great. Let's like upset everybody. this woman with crosses. They, yeah, no we have no questions. idea what's going on. Yeah. Let's yeah. condemn this woman to death in the sun <laughs> with our crosses. Yeah. Which at first I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. But then I'm like, ah, I'd probably jump in on that one. You know, like, why not? Just <laughs> you see a bunch of people uh, surrounding a distressed woman and waving crosses at him. Why not get in there? You know, 
So, uh, yeah, again, don't, don't fucking think about it. The Twitter it, mentality, right? Steve. You're always ready to join the mob. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this movie to me is, it's, it's kind of a different beast from like a, a roll on like Vampiros Lesbos sort of thing. Like it is to me, like seems pretty directly in, in dialogue with, uh, Dracula, you know, like it, it's yeah. you know, referencing Stoker directly through a character, but it's, it's very much like sort of, vampire as colonizer in the same way that that dracula is and it's yeah i like pointedly she's decimated this population of uh people in a, a reservation so yeah we are talking about like this sort of uh invader preying on the indigenous uh as, as steve you know you you knew we were gonna get there today uh yeah so eventually it all comes back around to columbus day yeah and I, <laughs> you know it's it every everyone in the cast is very pointedly uh not that except for Juan, who again uh probably a strange uh, choice of name for someone who would presumably based on dialogue be native american but uh mm-hmm. you know so it goes uh in these sorts of movies but yeah it, there's a lot here that is uh interesting in a way that bloodbath feels uh interesting in its uh, accidental nature almost but this is a lot more deliberate film and uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know how popular it was to be influential, but you can see a lot of this sort of mix of the American road movie uh, into the genre that you would see later in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff of that nature. It, it, it does feel a little ahead of its time and what it's doing in, in this sort of genre blending. And yeah, the effect of this sort of stark uh southwest gothic is uh is is quite effective it, it's definitely a movie worth seeking out if if you're interested sure. in uh this era and the uh, pretty different depiction of a vampire mm-hmm. i like um that between the these two you know this small sample not that there is a large sample but these two films like how much rothman's films are influenced by the era that they're in um but also but also are not you know they're not like social realism or something like that like they also Mm -hmm. exist within some sort of you know abstraction like i said before like uh um and it's all you know influenced by the same stuff but um but yeah like they're they're interesting artifacts but um but uh you know there's something personal about them Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I love Rothman's dedication to subverting tropes, you know, even, even this early on, it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's eye roll worthy at this point, but it, it feels like that's been done so much that it's almost like a cliche in and of itself, but seeing what she's doing with her here and how she's, uh, just, you know, working with vampire mythos and Dracula and, uh, compared to, I, I think there was like a Count Yorga movie that came out literally the same month and if you watch that back to back with this and just kind of see how those movies are all in in dialogue with each other super interesting and uh even even the slight like she's very subtle about some things too which i appreciate even the stuff with the indigenous people it's not like it's shown outright no but there's just all these like racist illusions like she's clearly she's decimated the local population and there's there's illusions made to that there's uh, a, a particular scene where 
uh, someone is looking for this mechanic who was killed sort of accidentally at her her big desert mansion. And basically, she just poo-poos it. It's just like, oh, well, you know, uh, one of the, the local uh, natives probably did something, blah, blah, blah. Like, immediately just pushes it off on them. Uh, and then you've got Juan, who, by all accounts, has been just, he's basically a slave, but he's been indebted to her. He's like, oh, well, she raised me, and I've always been with her, and I've always done everything for her. The whole time, he, he doesn't really say anything. He's just sort of protecting her and you know, serving them fucking food, not saying anything. The only time he pipes up is when uh, one of the other women almost steps into her, her like fucking, I don't know what it is, like fucking vampire jack-off den where she's got like a big chair and then a, a two-way mirror so she can look at the, the bed of her guests. And yeah, and then she just kills him, just sort of indiscriminately because she's like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm hungry. <laughs> and like none of that matters to her. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's great stuff. And it's, it's such a rich movie and it's kind of wild to me that this one, um, isn't talked about more or hasn't gotten a big restoration to my knowledge, uh, anything like that. Although optimism vaccine rub, usually if we talk about something and I say, why the fuck don't we have this? It, it, it happens. So, uh, we'll start the countdown now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that one, can you talk about, one um, canceling, oh. um, Federal student loans as well, Steve. Oh, geez, that's oh, yeah. where we got to. Huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here, I thought we were still discussing the film. I, I was going to say that Juan is an interesting, like, weaponization of that sort of Renfield archetype, uh, and applying that to, yeah, the subservience uh, <laughs> of, of the invader again. The, the, very much, uh, your vampiress is not coded as uh, native to the land. I mean, she has no parents here. She's very much a a traveler in the land uh, who has come to uh, domineer the local population. And um, yeah, it, it, not, nothing here feels accidental. And I, I must say I am particularly fond of the, uh, what I, I'll call like a dime store surrealist aesthetic where they're just like, oh, how, how are we going to make this uh, feel off? Let, let's just uh, set a mirror in the desert. That'll do the job. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's all it takes. This, uh, watching the movie, um, it made me want to, like, listen to psych folk music from, like, the 2000s that I haven't thought about in, like, a decade. Right. Like, this uh, is, put, like... Put on some total... Akron family. And... <laughs> yeah, this is, this is total, like, fucking Six early 70s acid rock, but then... Yeah. That's wild, too, because, um, I, I don't know, like... What, when did when did El Topo come out? Like, was that like that? 70, the same year? 71 or, or 70. Yeah. So around the same time. But uh, even taking all the vampire stuff out of this and just thinking it, you know, just the the kind of like acid Western setting. Uh, it, it's it's wild kind of how ahead of the curve she was on that. But the soundtrack, of this is fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, it makes me want to travel back to 2006 and dig up all my CDs, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I'd definitely yeah. rather watch this than El Topo. <laughs> sure. You can tell, like, you know, Devondra Bonhart probably loves this movie. Oh, he fucking... Well, if I, if I wanted to throw out a, another title out there, what I was frequently reminded of with these trips to the desert was the famous orgy sequence in Zabriskie Point by one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, Antonioni. 
And uh, that's just got some good old uh, rock music from Pink Floyd sure. playing in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's that's that was the vibe I was coasting on. Yeah, I can see that. For sure, for sure. Well, and if you're listening right now and it's like, yeah. oh, geez, Antonioni and Roland and uh, fucking El Topo, these are all the touch points. You're like, oh, this is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, it fucking is. Why haven't you watched this movie yet? What are you doing with your life? It's, it's unfortunate because I was looking up uh, just some physical media stuff here. There was a Blu-ray released by Shout Factory in 2016. Ooh, uh, that's favorite. that's long, long out of print, <laughs> long out of print and uh, going for about one hundred and twenty dollars on eBay. Should you wish to bid on a copy? Uh, other than that, it looks like you can get a DVD of this film uh, for quite cheap. But uh, yeah. this is something you kind of want to seek out in HD. Otherwise, ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. I think we are yeah, working agreed. off the Shell Factory uh, uh, print for what we watched. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, because oh, I, I definitely bought the Shell Factory Blu-ray, and uh, oh, we all, know. we all did. Yeah. We all went on yeah. eBay. Yeah. No. this Get episode that. cost us four hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> so yeah, can you be thankful you're that? getting one? And that's why you should subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> five bucks a month goes a long way after eight yeah. years. No one on this podcast has ever illegally obtained the movie at all for any reason. We, we would never. Oh, it's, it's not illegal. <laughs> How do you do that? Right? Holy shit. Eight years times 12 months times five dollars. This is 480. I'm a math wizard. Wow. That's impressive. Real fucking rain man over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're counting cards. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Stephanie Rothman. Uh, she's incredible. She made. The, we're, we're covering these two movies in particular because it's Sean Tober and she made some horror movies and uh, it was a good excuse to kind of shoehorn her in uh, because I, I want to talk about her for a little while. So I'm glad she's got enough <laughs> horror movies to at least have a shorter episode. Uh, but if you're interested in her as a filmmaker, she also made, I wouldn't call them softcore per se, um, but they're part of that like weird proto softcore from the 60s and, and 70s, like the, the nudie cuties, basically, which I don't even like to say because it feels like <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel good to say that. I don't know why. But um, if you're like Doris Wishman goes too hard for me, how do I <laughs> dial that back a little? There you go. But uh, similarly, in her outside of her, her horror exploitation, in more of the sexploitation uh, subgenre. Uh, Rothman was able to apply a, a lot of the same subversiveness and, and progressive issues and stuff. And also keeping around some of that messiness too. I, I think I, mes- I mentioned student nurses, which is probably her uh, best known movie outside of her typical horror action exploitation stuff. And that has a, a lot of messy divergent subversive elements to it. And it's, it's fun. It's a real shaggy dog of a fucking movie, but definitely something somebody, sh- everybody should check out. And Rothman's Terminal Island and just in the last year I think Vinegar Syndrome did is it is it a 4K restoration? It is it? it's a 4K 4K release too. Yeah, and and that's a fun yeah. one. It it looks like on its surface that's going to be like a cage heat women in prison uh type of movie and it's I mean it kind of is but it's not really. <laughs> so it's it's kind of its own beast and that's that's another fun one. So uh definitely recommend checking that one out because I think at this point it's her only movie that's readily available in high definition. So if you want a little little taste of the Rothman, 
Terminal Island is a good place to start. I, I, have you guys have you guys watched that one at all? I don't. I or am I no. the other person? Okay. I I did watch it. It's like if you remember that movie from 2007 that came out called The Condemned. No, I think everyone loves that movie. Uh, Vinnie Jones and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold it's Steve like Austin. It's like that. Yeah. It's like that movie, but good. Uh, oh. Basically, basically like America's worst prisoners. Uh, they just get issued a death certificate and then they are um, excommunicated to this island. And uh, it's about how the island is kind of like the toughest guys have sort of created a society, but then half the faction breaks away and rebels and that's led by all the women. So it's actually it's really good. I watched it, uh, you know, not necessarily to talk about for this episode, but just as an extra bit of Stephanie Rothman homework. And I did get a copy of it in my uh, one of my vinegar syndrome subscriptions. So uh, and that's still available out there. So uh, check it out. Uh, Terminal Island. Good stuff. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, any Rothman you can get your hands on, fucking get your hands on it, for sure. Uh, Sean, anything else that you'd like to, to talk about with, in regards to Miss Stephanie Rothman? No, I don't think so. Are you, are you going to pursue some more, or are you fucking done with her? Are you, are you casting her off? Probably done. <laughs> That's good. No. I I mean... She was just in Indiana, man, uh, at IU, that you actually sent along that really yeah. nice interview with her. Uh, so, and this is the other thing I'm hoping, because we talked about doing this episode, and then immediately after, Sean, I think you saw somebody yeah. was doing like a retrospective and you sent an essay that <clears throat> somebody had written. And then the, this video from Indiana University just last week just popped up. So we're putting the vibes into the air. The, the Rothman renaissance is upon us. At least that's what I'm hoping. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, boys, what are you putting over? Jake, you had anything to put over this week? Yeah, uh, I recently contracted COVID-19 for the first time in my Hell life. yeah, brother. Yeah, you know, three and a half years, uh, I, uh, I lived, so I'm going uh, to recommend, no. Uh, I was uh, ill at home, only really about two days was bad, but I uh, didn't do any work. And our good friend Jack recommended I watch a show from the UK called Taskmaster. And uh, let me tell you, this show has basically taken over my life. It is my <laughs> new favorite thing that I enjoy watching so much. It's it's the best kind of show in that it allows the most pedantic people to succeed, which is what I really like. It's a if you're not if you're not familiar, it's a UK panel show wherein there's five comedians each season and they're given a series of tasks to do by the taskmaster. And uh all of them find creative ways to complete the tasks. Uh and there's rules and there's points issued, but it's just it's a goddamn blast. Is I love this, it uh, so reality? much. No, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a panel show. So it's kind of like a, it's a co- reality competition, I guess you could say, but uh, it's a series gotcha. of recorded events and then they're all watched and, and reviewed in, in front of a live audience. But okay. uh, yeah, it's, and you, uh, you watch the UK version. Cause I know there's like, isn't there like a comedy central attempt at a remake of this show from a few years ago or something? There are, yeah, there are several other spinoffs. Um, the, I've also seen a few episodes of the New Zealand version, which is decent. I recommend season two of that one uh, is actually pretty good, but uh, I, there was oh, a really were just us. Yeah, no, believe me, I've gone through a lot of taskmaster in the last three weeks. Um, and my wife likes it too, so we're watching it together. Uh, it's great. Um, for the but, ladies, fellas. But but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 so fucking funny. And then yeah, the American version I've just heard nothing but bad things about, and I we've steered clear. But uh, UK Taskmaster is where it's at. All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, 
All right, I don't know. The dog is distracting me. I put over cats. Get cats because uh, <laughs> my dog is uh, just gnawing away at my hand the entire time we've been recording. And I try to put a That's stop exciting. to it. He's barking loudly. So, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't really watched anything this week. I'm still in Starfield land. It, uh, between that and school, it's kind of eating my free time. But I, I did read something that, that's kind of a, a good recommendation for the spooky season. Uh, is it a recipe? That is <laughs> uh, Algernon Blackwood's The Willows, a pretty uh, foundational uh, short horror story that is, it's essentially like uh, reading H.P. Lovecraft, except if he weren't the worst writer ever. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's actually pre-Lovecraft uh, was definitely a touchstone for his work, but it's uh, it's it's by someone who who can write uh, as opposed to old H.P. and and I mean I, I've gotten much enjoyment out of reading some some H.P. Uh, Lovecraft in my day, but uh, if we're honest, he's he's uh, a limited uh, writer. Uh, to say the least uh so this is definitely in that vein quite short again i think it's like 30 pages or something like that and uh it'll get you in the mood for the spooky season so it's not a recipe okay not a recipe unfortunately uh sean what are you putting over this week um i yesterday watched a beloved classic um 1972 peter bogdanovich's what's up doc um i had heard good things and it was just kind of like uh the right uh it was exactly what i was looking for sort of this uh you know uh weekend midday kind of it's starting to get cold out and uh you you, you know you sometimes you just want to stay inside and watch a movie and um mm-hmm. it's just you know uh very very funny um it reminded me of looney tunes a lot and then that turns out to be a uh explicit touch point but um you know uh bogdanovich uh it's no secret he was a huge screwball fan and um there's there's a lot of that but uh barbara streisand is uh just so so funny um didn't really know that she had that in her to be honest, but um, yeah, just just really funny movie. Nice, nice. Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna start by putting over Adam Myros's dog. Uh, yeah, any creature that uses one of my friends as a 300 pound chew toy instead of respecting him as a human being, I love it. I'm on board. So good job, Toast the dog. We love you. Uh, and I, you know, I could put over cats as a superior animal, but currently uh, I've got one with uh, their butthole inches from my face, and another one has just laid down entirely covering my keyboard. So, fuck cats too, I guess. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna echo what I said earlier. Just watch watch more Rothman. Like, go hunt down her shit, figure out where you can find it, look on YouTube if you have to, uh, scrape up uh, bargain bin DVDs, whatever you gotta do, watch, watch more of her movies. And, uh, oh, I'm gonna put over, you, you, need, a, you need a recipe? I'm going to put over my chili recipe, which I feel like I have finally perfected after 15 years of alchemy. So uh, a link to my chili recipe in, in the description of this podcast. Other than that, uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now, then you will find in the description, aside from a chili recipe, you'll see a link to our Patreon. And that is an opportunity for you to give us money. Uh, how how do we afford out of print Blu-rays to legally acquire uh, old exploitation films? How do we do it? And it's it's through our wonderful patrons, and it helps pay for hosting, uh, helps pay for dog muzzles, 
uh, anything <laughs> we might need, really. And we, we really, we, what would we be without you, dear listener? And uh, nothing, just a pile of fucking primordial ooze. So if you donate to the Patreon, what do you get? There's got to be something in it for you. And yes, there's so much, so much for you, dear listener. First of all, if you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. <clears throat> Who knows? It could be a long out of print edition of Bloodbath that you can then sell on eBay uh, for $90. And I don't know, go buy a bag of Coke or whatever the fuck you want to do. <laughs> That's an option. <clears throat> uh, also, you get access to uh, the amazing Optimism Vaccine patron exclusive feed, which includes old written content, uh, old Patreon exclusive podcasts, and uh, whenever we get around to them, uh, new patron exclusive episodes, which is super cool. I feel like we got now, one of those coming too with the, with the recent oh. spate of releases, including the the streaming Pet Cemetery prequel and uh, and this uh, Exorcist uh, thing. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's gonna happen soon. We're gonna have another horror yeah. roundup on the Patreon. Oh, I uh, yeah. I mean, I got I got a hankering for some popcorn, so maybe I'll make it down to my local multiplex so we can do a little uh, twenty. What year is it? Twenty twenty three spooky season roundup oh, of all you're the shit that's give coming money out. to the exercise. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Maybe I, it can't be that bad. What? How bad could it it's be? It's got some really? pretty I, I wretched reviews. I'll say that. I don't know. You want to see Saw X? Well, I would have to see uh, Saw. I, I think I'm three behind at this point since we we didn't oh, long wow. ago did our catch up. I never saw right. the Spiral or the Jigsaw or. Uh, yeah, what X now, right? So eight, nine, and ten. I'm I'm missing out on. Yeah, I I think what I want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay to see Saw X for sure. Uh, one because I've actually heard good things about it, which is weird. Uh, two because I want to start a campaign to normalize calling, uh, pronouncing Saw X like a guy from Boston would pronounce the name of Saw. his favorite baseball team. Saw X. <laughs> it just sounds better to I me. I don't know so, if I've heard good yeah. things, but I heard that it inexplicably uh, the tenth entry is like the first one to look like a real. <laughs> Well, that's strange. strange. No, I've yeah, heard this I, is like the best one. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's a I guess, I guess it's about bar, like man. it's like definitely Jigs my top Jigsaw ten. It's like botched medical uh like procedures or something, and it's about like how we need universal health care. I think that's what I've gathered from what I've read. But I don't know. Sean, were yeah. you gonna say something? <laughs> I said it's definitely in my top ten. So yeah, mm. for sure, for sure. It's gotta crack the top ten of Saw movies, at least. Um Anyways, I don't know the fuck we were going, but uh, yeah, there's a bunch of shit out. We're gonna we're overdue for another patron exclusive, so we'll get one out there soon. Um, also, if you donate at the five dollar level, which is kind of like the mid tier, uh, you get even more. First of all, you get to uh, you get to vote in polls for patron uh, episodes. So you know, patrons they vote, and then whatever they vote on, that's the episode that we do. So exciting! You get to influence content. What could be better? And on top of that, you get your name read out on the air. So. Myros, who are our five and above patrons right now? Uh, we have David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And uh, yeah, I, I will say Evan has uh, joined the most exclusive tier of $25. And uh, once we wrap up Sean Tober here, he will be getting uh, an episode of his choosing. Very exciting. That's very exciting. Very exciting for Evan. He, he took the next step. He leveled up, man. You think you got it? You got a big dick. You want to swing it around? Come swing it by us, because yeah, twenty five dollars, and you get to choose an entire episode, anything you want. Uh, and I'm sure Evan has something great in store for us. So you could you could be the next person who gets to decide an episode. Think about that. Think think of the just the importance, the prestige 
I can't think of anything better. Sean, can you think of anything better? Oh man, um, maybe paying fifty dollars just cause. Yeah, well, we don't if, we don't well, allow for that option. We probably ought to, but we yeah. don't. Yeah, you could just give us fifty dollars. You don't get anything. Just, yeah. just give it to us. Yeah. Um, who knows? Fifty dollars. I'll I'll send you a tasteful nude of Fred Wiseman. How's that sound? Ooh. You open up that uh that little coin purse here, Sean. Let's <laughs> <laughs> end this episode. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's hard for Sean to concentrate when he's rock hard. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the show, uh, Patreon, great. Please support us. Uh, otherwise, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us slash blue sky at us slash x at us slash whatever the fuck you want at us uh, at Optimism Vaccine. If it's a platform, maybe we're on there. Maybe we're not. Who cares? Uh, and with that, we'll be back next week with more Sean Tober. 